Well, it is such a treat for my wife, Kyan, and I to be with you. And uh, we were with the young people up at Camp Nelson last night. So we know there's, there's some of your families I know some things about already from spending time with some of your kids. I met four of the seven Torreses and then just met Jason today. And you know, one of the things I'm finding out about Grace Church of the Valley is a lot of you are related to each other. Is that, is that true? Families that go through things, and that was, that was just really fun to get to know some of them. And they're, they're all still alive up at Camp Nelson, and uh, we had a great, great time together. And even though th- this is my first time in Kingsburg, my first time here, but I was driving in last night and just looking around and smelling some of the, smelling the fertilizer in the air. And, uh, and I just told Connie, there's something about this place that just makes me feel at home. And maybe it's part of it's because you love Jesus, and I love Jesus too. But some of it is because I was raised by a farmer. So when I'm around people who are close to the soil, and uh, some of you farm yourself, most of many of you farm yourself, I, there's, there's just something that I feel connected. My great, well, my dad's great-great-grandfather crossed the country on the Oregon Trail and homesteaded in the Willamette Valley of Oregon, so north of here. And my dad grew up on that farm that was homesteaded by the Patty family. So generations had come up from there. And my dad loves to farm. He loves the soil. He, in fact, he's got one of his favorite pictures is of him plowing with, uh, I don't know how many horses. Uh, during the war, his dad went back to horses to save gas, and so he would, he would plow with horses. He loved that. Uh, he, he went off to the military, and while he was there, tried, put his faith in Jesus Christ, and because that, after that, God called him into missions. So my dad has spent most of his life in missions. But if you ask him, he'd say he's still a farmer. That's really very close to his heart. In fact, he carries around a little dirt underneath his fingernails at all times just to be close to the soil. You know, he, he loves the soil. Literally, he loves the soil. Uh, he served for 10 years in the Philippines, was part of starting an organization that ministered to the military, and then they asked him to be at the main office to take uh, the executive director role in Denver. And so I grew up in Denver, even though I grew up in a missionary family, in the city, several million people, one of the suburbs of Englewood, but remember I said my dad loves the soil? So he noticed that there was some, some bare soil next to our house. We lived in, in a, just a housing area with lots of houses, but they hadn't built on the lot next to us yet. And that soil was unused, and that was very difficult for my father to see. So he went to the owner of that and said, I'll keep the weeds down if you'll let me garden that whole plot. And they said yes. So when I was about eight years old, we started gardening this, this plot of ground right next to our house. And uh, we raised too many vegetables for ourselves. Dad always did things a little bit bigger than he probably should have. And so we put up a sign right beside our house. We lived on a corner and just started selling the extra things that, that uh, we didn't need and making a little money. I was eight, nine years old. And uh, one, one day my dad was thinking about this, and he got this idea. He traveled a lot during the year. Sometimes he'd be gone for as long as three months visiting the missionaries around the world. And he was concerned that how, what was the impact that this was going to have on our family? So he, he noticed these vegetables being sold and the fact we were making a little money from it. I thought, I wonder if we could kind of expand this garden. And so he drove around and found about a block away of quite large, about two-and-a-half-acre piece of land that was zoned industrial, but it was dirt, right, and it wasn't being used. And that's just not good when there's good dirt that's not being used. And so he got permission to, to garden that. And so when I was 10, we started gardening about two, two and a half acres uh, with our rototillers. We never had a tractor. So I spent a lot of time walking up and down behind a rototiller and 
raising uh, sweet corn and, uh, and cucumbers. And, and we sold them from our back porch. And when I was 12 years old, I got on a plane with my dad in Denver and headed out west. And we went to Japan, Taiwan, Thailand. I spent three months with my dad traveling around the world visiting missionaries that he was responsible for. And we made, up, we made all the money from selling. We sold a lot of corn. It was, they didn't pay much for it back then. <laughs> so you could say that I'm in missions because of farming. It was farming that it was, it was a lot smaller than your farms, but <laughs> there was still soil and produce. And so I have, a, I have a real love for missions. Farming launched me into missions. Well, I'm still in missions today, and I want to tell you some about that ministry because it ties into what we're going to talk about. I serve with an organization called Josiah Venture, and uh, we don't serve all over the world. This is a map of the world, but this is an interesting map because it shows the percentage of evangelicals by country. Now, look where you are. Uh, you can't see California related to the rest of the United States, but we have, pretty, we have a lot of evangelicals here. Typical focuses for missions like Africa and South America, the gospel has gone forward in very exciting ways. They have a lot of believers. You can see that up here uh, in the 1040 window of the Muslim world, very needy area. China should be a different color because some people say as much as 8% of Chinese are now, have now put their faith in Christ. This is where we live. A lot of people don't realize that this region of Central and Eastern Europe actually has a very, very small number of believers. Christianity has come and gone. A lot of big cathedrals that are empty, but very few believers. Now, we work in these countries, the post-communist countries, Estonia, Latvia, Poland, Czech. We're just putting a team into East Germany. That's one of those 14 uh, Czechoslovakia, Connie and I live right here in that corner, Ukraine, Hungary, Romania, Slovenia, Croatia, Serbia, Albania, that's where you guys are headed, way down south, and then we've also just added this country of Bulgaria. And in those countries there are 100 and, see if we can get this, I'm pushing the wrong button, 151 million people, less than 1% evangelical Christians. 1%, just think about that. In the Czech Republic, it's half of a percent. So if you had a high school, someone told me your high school here is 1,600, something like that, Kingsburg High. If that was a school in the Czech Republic, there would be eight Christians in that school. Just think about it. Think of the pressure they would be under in a school of 1,600, and there's just eight believers. That's how few believers there are in that area of the world. So this is a needy, needy area of the world. Now, what we want to do, what we want to see is a movement of God among the youth of Central and Eastern Europe that finds its home in the local church, a real committed to the local church, and transforms society. I've got a question for you. How many of you, I want you to raise your hand if this applies to you, how many of you trusted Christ before your 21st birthday? Raise your hand. Okay, keep it up and look around. That's a lot of you, isn't it? Before you're 21, even some of you who've got gray hair, it was before 21 that you put your faith in Christ. Do you know that around the world, 90% of those who trust Christ do so before their 21st birthday? And our survey here would confirm that. So if you were thinking about an area of the world where it's 1% Christian, where do you think you would focus some of your most intensive effort? Right? If you want to reach the lost, actually that window, we talk about the 13 to 30 window, that window 
when when they're starting to become independent but haven't haven't yet um, you know, formed their families, that that's a place to catch them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to see the local church grow. We want to see whole countries different. In fact, what we're praying for is that 1% would become 2%, that the Czech Republic would be transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the reason why our name is Josiah Venture, do you know about King Josiah? How old, he was 8 years old when he became king. But when he was 16 years old, the Bible says something very significant. It says he began seeking the God of his father David. Well, his father wasn't David. His father was Amnon. His, his grandfather was Manasseh. They were bad, bad men. He skips past them, starts seeking the God of his father David. And between 16 and 26, he transforms his country. So we're saying, where are the Josiahs of Eastern Europe? How can they start seeking God when they're 16 and transform their countries as, as young people? So that's our vision. Now I want to give you a, just a picture of what these young people are like. This is a one-minute video of kids from Albania, where you're headed, who've trusted Christ through our camps there, uh, giving their testimonies. Now, remember, Albania, 24 years ago, there were no believers in Albania. There was no church. You couldn't find one Christian church in the whole country. It was officially atheist. The church is only 24 years old. And all these kids are trusting Christ out of non-Christian or Muslim backgrounds. They're usually the first believer in their extended family. I want you to just hear them talk about their, their love for Jesus. Before I didn't know Jesus, my life was bad. I think it's not luck to came here, but it's just the, the purpose that God bring me here to reconnect with Him. Uh, this uh, week was the first time I've heard about Jesus. He saved me and uh, all of us, and he, he changed my life. Uh, before I knew Jesus, I think only for myself. I didn't know that Jesus loved me. Before, I was a bad guy. Now, I try to follow Jesus. And I like to, to learn from him. I have learned so much that God loves me. But now I know Jesus and it's different. I want to, to follow the Jesus. I'm like a new man now. And just right now I say it. I believe in you, God. I believe, really. Jesus changed my life. Really, really, really. Amen, huh? Jesus changed my life. I was a bad guy. You kind of believe him when you say he says that, don't you? When I meet you on some dark Albanian street. Okay, those are the young people we love. Those are the faces. That's why... Connie and I have been in Eastern Europe for the past 20 years. That's why you're sending a team of eight this summer to be part of this vision of reaching that next generation in a very uh, needy area of the world. Uh, This is is an exciting mission, isn't it? To share Jesus with people who don't know him. Because I'm a missionary, I I think a lot about mission. Mission's pretty important. I want to ask you a question this morning. Uh, What is your mission? I'm not saying... Missions, I'm saying, what is your mission? Mission is what you sense is your calling, like why you're here. It's what you wake up in the morning thinking about. And some of you might say, uh, my mission is to be a great mom, let's say. Or uh, my mission is to be an outstanding teacher at the elementary school. You might say, my mission is to raise the best peaches in the whole valley. Or the, the most raisins or some of that. You, you've raised so many things here. It's amazing. Uh, some of you, maybe you're at a point where you say, my mission is to, is to really enjoy retirement. 
or you might say, my mission is to uh, beat Becky Jackson in barrel riding. Some of you might say that. I met Becky Jackson last night, by the way, and then I found out she beats all the guys in barrel riding. Patty told me that. So you might say, my mission is to make sure next time there's barrel riding, Becky Jackson doesn't, doesn't beat me. Now, all those missions, we can have multiple missions in our life. All those missions can, that's fine. But if you're a follower of Jesus, oh, by the way, that's our staff. I wanted to show you, that's our team. Skip that one. If you're a, whatever other mission you have, if you belong to Jesus, you also have a mission from him. It's okay to want to raise the best peaches in the valley and to be a great mom and to be an outstanding elementary school teacher. But uh, Jesus has also given you a mission. That's one of you. It's, it's the Jesus mission. It's the mission that you received from him, the call that you received from him when you put his faith, with your faith in him. And I want to look at that mission today in Matthew 28. So if you've got your Bibles, and I'm sure you do, turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28, and we'll start in verse 16, Matthew 28, 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Okay, that's the, the mission's in there. This is the Jesus mission. And uh, it's important that we understand this. Sometimes we, we, this is a familiar passage. We might assume that we understand it all. There's a couple of things that I, I want us to catch right at the beginning. I want us to catch how he starts the passage and how he finishes the passage because actually those two pieces are, are very important. In fact, I, I feel like his, I sense his beginning and his end function kind of as lines on the road of the mission, on Mission Road. Uh, I drove up to Camp Nelson last night. How, have, you, have any of you been up there? Probably a lot of you have been up that road, okay? It's not that far away. It is a windy road. We went in 20 miles. We gained 4,000 feet of elevation. And this thing goes up the canyon, and it's just like this all along the way. And then we came back down in the dark. It is so windy. And I told Connie, I, I said, I'm really glad they, there's lines on the road, you know, and that they're, they're real clear because I sure wouldn't want to go off the road. You know, go off to the right, and it's a long drop and uh, a fat, fast ending, fast stop, and then go off to the left, and who knows, a car could be coming around the, the curve, and I'm in the wrong lane, and I hit them, or I go into the wall or something like that. I'm glad they put lines down. And actually, as we think about mission, there are two things on, on Mission Road that function as kind of the right line that keeps us from going off the road, and the left line that keeps us from heading out into traffic, and they bracket this great commission that he talks about. So let's, let's look at verse 18 and find the first one. And Jesus came to them and said, so these are two lines that are on Mission Road that keep us going. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. He says, I'm going to tell you your mission, but before I tell you your mission, let me tell you the right line of the road, and that is, this is it. Um, Jesus is Lord. 
hey, all authority has been given to me. Like I'm the top. Any other authority is under me. All authority has been given to me. I am Lord. And so as we get into the rest of what I'm going to say, just, just remember, I'm Lord. All authority has been given to me. And then he gets to the end and he says, and behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So here's the left line. Jesus is with you always. So he's got this mission, but you need to remember uh, there's this line that keeps you from going off on the right, and that's that Jesus is Lord, and this line that keeps you going off the left, and that means it is that he is with you always. Okay, what's the right line? Okay, that was good. That wasn't bad. What's the left line? What's the right line? What's the left line? Okay, and when you're driving on a road, you're always checking those lines, right? They're always there. You don't go, okay, okay I got that. Like I had a line for the first mile, I don't need one anymore. No, you, you need it the whole time because the road is constantly changing and swerving and you just always got to be referencing off, okay, that's the right line, Jesus is the Lord. Keep, that, keep, keep inside that line. Keep under his lordship. The left line, he's with me always. Okay, that's going to help me. get a, Jesus is the Lord, Jesus is with me always. Okay, now we're going to come back to that in a minute. You'll find out why that's so important. But here's the next question. What exactly is the mission? Because, like, there's a lot of words in this passage. If we could boil it down, what is that Jesus mission that he wants you to do? And do you realize there's only, in this whole text, there's only two commands. In the whole Great Commission text, there's only two commands. Commands are important because that's what he's saying, do this. And he might be saying some other things about how we're supposed to do it. Now, quiz time. I want you to look down in the text right there and, uh, and see... Which you think are those two commands? Okay, go. We have go. Some others, yeah. Teach. Okay, we've got teach. I'll give you a hint. It's neither go nor teach. Okay, obey. That's a good one. Any others? Baptize. Actually, it's none of those two. And I... Underst- I would be choosing those as well, so I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. But it's actually, it's, it's, it's none of those. In, yeah? Okay, we got the first one. Make disciples. One of the two commands is make disciples. Now, one of the things that why you get a little off is we're reading this in English, and the answer I'm telling you is when you go back to the original language and find out what they are. So that's why I'm saying, you know, good job, you're working hard, you might not know this. The first command is make disciples. Sometimes we think that the command of the Great Commission is go, right? That's the Great Commission. The Great Commission is go. And you sit here and you go, but I've got a farm. I, I teach at the high school. I'm a mom, so that Great Commission affects somebody else. It, that's those eight kids that we're sending this summer. That's, that's Corey and, and Christine. That's uh, Shay and Bethany. That's not me. But actually, that's not the command of the Great Commission. We'll get back to this in a minute. But the command of the Great Commission is to make disciples. Make disciples. By the way, that's why I think it's an everyday mission for every person. And the Jesus mission is a mission that you have too. A command to make disciples. Now, what's the second command? This even gets harder. What's that? Observe everything he's, he's commanded. Great, great idea. No, sorry. Yeah. 
actually, that's not in command form either. I would choose all of those. Okay, in the name, and that's, and that's not the command either, but you know what? It's really close. And here is the second command. Behold. Okay? That's an imperative. Behold. Look. Behold, I'm with you always. Look. There's two commands. Make disciples and look. I'm with you always. So we could sum up the two commands of the Great Commission. The mission is to make disciples and look to Jesus. That's interesting, isn't it? That that's the very core of the Great Commission. Make disciples and look at me. Right? Because I'm with you always and I'm the Lord. So it's like drive down this road towards making disciples and be checking the two lines all the time. Jesus is the Lord. Yep, i got to remember that. He's with me always. Yeah, what would he do? What does he want me to do? Yeah, he, he, oh, yeah, and it, what he says to do, I need to do because he's Lord. I'm looking always to him and making disciples. Interesting, right? Well, how does that work out in, uh, in practical ways? How does, this, how does this play out? You know, you might think that, um, and sometimes people think this, that you automatically go across an ocean and then you're, you've fulfilled the Great Commission because you're in another location, right, because you've gone. And let me tell you just a little bit about how I felt when I landed in the Czech Republic. We moved into the Czech Republic in 1993, and, and uh, nobody had any phones, like, we were the only people on, in our, our team that had a phone. The stores were these tiny stores with almost nothing. And we really f- literally felt like we'd, we'd moved to the end of the world. It's very different now. But uh, we moved into this town and had this vision for a movement of God among the young people of Eastern Europe. We moved into a town of 100,000 people. And I could only find maybe 15 or 20 young people who were believers in this whole town. We started working in a church of about 50, which is a pretty good-sized church in Eastern Europe. And they had five in their youth group. Uh, the, old, the youngest in the youth group was 23, and the oldest was 71 in the youth group. And, um, and he was going to the youth group because his wife had died, and he was single again, so he felt like he belonged with the other singles. So he was back with the singles in the youth group. And so this is not like, uh, you know, in, invite all your high school friends to this youth group, and this is going to be cool. I mean, this, this is a struggling that's... And they would just get together and, and, and pray for the city. So there's this small church of 50. There's this youth group of five. Youth group of five. And, uh, and then w- w- we're supposed to make disciples. How in the world do we do that? What do we do next? I remember waking up in the morning going, how in the world do we do this? What do we do next? Well, we started praying that God would open the doors. One of the things we had to remember is Jesus was with us, right? We're not alone. And then he's Lord, which means he's even Lord over the atheistic city, and he's Lord over the problems in our small church, and he's Lord over the fact that the youth group is small, and, and he's with us. So, you know, we're just trying to keep this in mind and, and praying about what he'd have us do next. And I was learning the language, the Czech language, and we had a young girl living with us helping us learn the language just so we could be talking to her. And one day she came home, and, and she ran up to my wife, and she said, Connie, you uh, you're a, you're a school teacher, aren't you? And my wife said, yeah, I am. You ought to, you ought to teach at our school. And uh, Connie said, well, I don't know. We've got young kids. We had two young kids. And, and she said, no, it'd be, it'd be great. Why don't you at least come and, and meet the principal? And so Connie asked me, should I do it? I said, yeah, that'll be really interesting. So she went to the school, met the principal, came back home, and, and told me a little bit about that. And then Lucy comes back from school, a 16-year-old Czech girl. She comes running in the door. 
She runs over to Connie and she says, you got the job. Connie says, what job? Well, you know, the job you were interviewing for today, you got it. Connie said, I didn't know I was interviewing for a job. And one of the things we found out about the Czech Republic is they're very subtle people, very subtle. And she had been subtly offered a job and had subtly accepted it and didn't know either of those things had happened. So, uh, so Connie said, hey, there's been a mistake. You just need to tell the principal that a misunderstanding, I can't take that job. And, and, and Lucy's face fell, and she said, I can't do that. And Connie said, why is that? Just tell them you can't. I, I can't do that. Why? Well, she said, well, when, when the principal found out that you were going to take the job, he fired the other teacher, and, and it's February, and we won't have an English teacher if you don't come. So you've got to do this. So Connie tells me this. I go, oh, and I, we've got young kids. You know, you know what some of you families you know what it's like with young kids. I tell me, she can't take a, a, a job. I, I'm learning the language. I came there to train youth pastors, right? And all of a sudden, things are not going like I'd planned. Like, they're not going like I'd planned. Something's, it's out of my control, you know, somehow. Jesus Lord, right? It's not out of his control. And I remember for, for three days we, we thought about this and prayed about this and, and uh, Finally, the kids had gone to bed, and it was the evening, and I said, Connie, I've just thought about this, and I, I can't think of any other. I think I'm going to have to take the job for you. But, but I'm not happy about this. I'm here to train youth pastors, learn this language. I'm not here to teach English in the high schools. You know, that's cheating, too, using English. You've got to use the language. So I, I said, I think I'll take it for you. And then he's kind of quiet, and then uh, Connie says, Dave, you know, I think, I think God's in this. Jesus is always with you, right? And God's in this. And I was like, yeah, God's in everything. He's just saying that because I'm bailing you out from this job you shouldn't have taken. Why did you take the job? Said, I didn't. And it got real quiet. And she says, I think sometimes we're, sometime we're going to look back and, and see that this was really significant. Okay, whatever. So I go to meet the principal the next day. He's disappointed not to see my wife. I say, she, she really can't do this, and I'll do it in, in her place. And he said, uh, uh, do you have any credentials? I said, I've been speaking English all my life. I'll do fine, you know. Um, and uh, I was kind of irritated because I really didn't want to do this. And, and then the principal said, um, I said, what do you want me to do? And he said, all of our other teachers teach the kids grammar, but they don't get to talk. And so we want you to just converse with them in English. And I said, what about? He said, um, you know, sports, holidays, American traditions, families, things like that. Just get them talking. I start thinking about this. I go, get them talking, huh? I start thinking, well, Jesus is the Lord, right? And he's with me always. Sometimes we think there's places where we can't talk about Jesus. And actually, you can talk about Jesus anywhere, right? Because he's Lord, right? And you can talk about him anywhere because he's, he's with you always. So he's, he's, you're not alone in that. And I thought, well, I, I'm going to ask a question. So I said, you know, this is, this is great that I've got this job, but I'm, I'm a youth pastor. I came here to train youth pastors. Can I talk about God in class? He thought about this a little bit, and he says, yeah, I don't see why not. As long as you do it in English, that'd be fine. <laughs> so I start the first week, and I, we talk about family, and we talk about holidays, and then about three weeks into things, I say, today we're going to talk about God because there's a lot of important English words that you need to learn that are associated with this, you know sanctification, redemption, hell, things like that. Real important ones. Uh, <clears throat> so uh, I, I said, let's start by getting you talking. And I started with the first one. I said, uh, do you believe in God? And this, uh, this guy said, no. I said, why not? He says, I don't know. No one believes in God. 
Go to the next one. What about you? I'm an atheist. Why are you an atheist? Well, everybody's an atheist. And I went around this room of 30 kids, and there was one girl who had just put her faith in Christ three months before. But otherwise, they were all, they didn't even think God existed. But what struck me was they didn't even know, they didn't know why they didn't think God existed. You know, they hadn't had an opportunity to put their faith in Jesus. And so, uh, so I, I said, well, the next day, I, I believe in God. Let me tell you why. So I went through the whole plan of salvation. Drew the There's a lot of important words that they need to learn in English, right, in that, defining them. And, and I got done, and I went, this is amazing. I'm in a, a classroom in the most atheistic country on earth, and, and I'm using government chalk to tell people about God, and I'm getting paid for it, you know. This is just amazing. Well, Jesus is Lord, right? And he's with you always. And, and he can be with you in situations that you'd never expect. So I started really enjoying teaching English at this high school. And then I real, realized something else. You know, often my picture of missions was, was like, how can I transplant all this, these church programs to another location? Don't we, we often think in terms of that, don't we? Like our church activities. And if I think about Jesus... I'm supposed to make disciples and look to him. How did Jesus make disciples? He, like, did it in some radical ways, right? He did it on the road and out there. He was in people's homes. He was, he, he was not about primarily producing programs that he invited people to, but he was about penetrating a lost world with the, with the, the, the presence of God, which was embodied in him. And I realized, you know what? Actually, if Jesus were here, he'd probably be teaching in this high school rather than sitting in the house preparing to some program to change, you know, the Czech Republic. That, that Jesus, had, as Lord, was actually getting me doing things that Jesus would have probably done, and, and that I need to be looking at him, thinking, how would Jesus make disciples if he was here? I remember one time we, we had a, um, a meeting with the teachers, and I was sitting around with some of the teachers, and they were all, it was a teacher's party, and they were all kind of, the party was getting happier as it went along, so you can imagine what was going on. And I was drinking my water. And, um, and then a teacher leaned over to me, and she said, Dave, you're a believer, aren't you? And uh, I said, yeah, I am. And she said, that's really interesting. I always thought the believers were either kind of um, stupid, you know, mentally handicapped, or really old. And she said, you're, you're young, and you seem to, you know, you can think pretty clearly. And uh, she said, why do you believe in, in God? So I start telling her my testimony. Pretty soon, I don't know if you've ever been in one of those conversations where your conversation starts to become everyone's conversation, like they are going like this. And people were pulling their chairs over, and we talked for two or three hours about God at this, this place. Because he's Lord there, right? And he's with me. And, and so at the end of it, one of the, the teachers leaned over, and she said, i got a question for you. If someone doesn't believe in God but would like to, what would you tell them to do? Isn't that a great, great question? You know, that, that theoretical someone, I think she was, I knew who that was. Got her Bible, she started, she started reading about the Lord. Well, towards the, towards the end of the semester, I said to the kids, what are you doing, doing during the summer? And they said, nothing. I said, what do you mean, nothing? Don't you, don't you get a job? No, we can't get a job. And one of them said, under communism, we all used to go to camps. And, um, and we, but those have all stopped. We can't do those anymore. And one of them said, you, Dave, if you would do a camp and teach English, you could even talk about God there. Our parents would send us if, if, it was, if we were learning English. And so in 1994, we did the first English camp. 
And our little church with five young people in it, all of a sudden we had 80 young people at this camp. And then we started a youth group in our home right after that, and we had to move all the furniture out every week because we were getting 60. We had as many young people coming to this as there were people in the church. And that year we did one camp. The next year we did three camps. Next year we did seven. In the last 20 years we've done 950 week-long evangelistic camps with 55,000 young people. Half of them are non-Christians. And an average of 10% of those are saved in a local church a year later because of that camp. 55,000 young people. How did that happen? Well, Jesus is Lord, right? You know, and he's with us. He's doing things we want. And if we keep our eye on really the main thing we're about is making disciples and looking to him, doing it like he does, then what happened? this road that's winding and small and we don't exactly know where it's going and there's a lot of altitude to gain, we actually end up getting somewhere significant because he's Lord and because he's with you always. Now, a couple of things you need to remember. This is the mission. Make disciples and look to Jesus. So if you think, what's your mission? What's the Jesus? Make disciples and look to Jesus. What are the two sides of the road? Jesus is Lord. Jesus is with you always, right? Now, there's some, a couple of other things in this text, and, and uh, I really think they, they function as wheels on the car as we go up Mission Road. Because these other verbs, like teaching baptizing, some of those ones that you said, are in an ING form. Uh, an imperative, a command is walk. Walking means uh, I'm just doing something. It's that, that, that tire that's turning over and over again. So I'm supposed to make disciples and look to Jesus. And then there's, there's some kind of wheels that'll just always be turning that'll get me that direction. And that's where these other things come in. And here they are. They're really important. They answer the how question. How are we going to make disciples? How are we going to look to Jesus? And there's four main things, four main wheels that answer that how question. Oops, we're getting them all at once. We were just supposed to get them one at a time. I'll have to give them to you all at once. We won't talk about them all at once. But here they are. As you are going, make disciples of all nations, baptizing and teaching to obey. So uh, let's let's look at the, the first one. As you are going, as you are going. In fact, if we would translate this exactly, it would be going make disciples. Okay, it's in that ing. That's that that tire that's turning. Going make disciples, and that part of what I get in that is that um, is that we are always to be taking the initiative. We should be taking the first step. We shouldn't be waiting. We shouldn't be. It shouldn't be a come mentality. Like uh, if, if if your friends come to church, then they're going to get it. We should always be going. But the other thing is, as we're going and doing other things. We should be making disciples. So as you're a mom, as you're a farmer, as you're a teacher, as you're retired, as you are going, you should always be looking to Jesus and making disciples along the way. I told you my wife at that time had very young children, and uh, kids started coming to Christ. And one of her, her uh, struggles at that time was, I'm a missionary, I've gone way overseas, and actually I'm spending most of my time raising kids, Right? So uh, how can I find time apart from raising kids to make disciples? Well, can you make disciples while you're raising kids? Like as you were going in the task of raising kids, make disciples? There was one girl who at our second English camp trusted Christ. Her name was Katka. Katka was a dear, young 16-year-old girl. 
And the first thing her parents did when she got home from camp was said, you are forbidden to go to church. You're forbidden to go to youth group. And she said, what do you mean? And they said, you're still under our authority. We don't want you doing this. You can only do it when you become 18. Now, Katka didn't leave her faith, but she didn't have many options for getting help. And, and then uh, she said, well, could I go over to Connie's house and help her with her kids? And her parents said, yeah, you can do that. So guess what Katka did just about every other day? She came over to her house, and Connie, as she was going, as she was raising kids, she made disciples. So they talked about Jesus. They talked about whatever Katka was going through. They would, whenever they would get done with that, sit on the bed and pray together. And for two years, Connie made disciples while she was, uh, she was raising, raising kids. Actually, she did that with a lot of other girls, too. A lot of Connie's disciple-making during that time was in, as she was raising kids, just in the normal flow of things. By the way, Katka, when she was 18 years old, I remember she had her 18th birthday, and the next two days later she was in church. You know, sometimes you go, I can't get my kid to church. She was like, when can I finally go to church? Because my parents are forbidding me. That was her situation. Her parents are still not believers, but Katka now is, is on our staff, and she runs all our conferences and uh, has served God in many other countries. She's walking with God like crazy today. And when she talks back about her growth, she'll, she'll say, I so much about walking with God, I learned helping Connie with her kids. Because as she was going, she made disciples. I told you about my dad in the gardens selling vegetables. I remember one time I was standing on our back porch and we were selling these vegetables and somebody looked over at my dad and says, wow, you've got a lot of, you're doing a lot of work here, a lot of vegetables you're, you're raising. Is it profitable to raise vegetables? And my dad said, well, not really. But he said, but I'm not raising vegetables. I'm raising kids. Isn't that interesting? I'm not raising vegetables, I'm raising kids. What he understood was the context of our little farm the most important thing was not what came out of the ground, but what went into us as kids. You follow that? So as we are raising sweet corn, my dad was making disciples of his kids. And did all kinds of different opportunities to build into our lives, to talk about Jesus, to shape our lives, to, to point us towards him. As you are going, make disciples. Now, you might say, well, you know, I'm, I'm scared of offending people. I, I, like if I would talk in my job about Jesus, well, Jesus is Lord, right? You shouldn't be afraid of offending him. You might be saying, well, I don't know exactly what to say or what to do. Well, Jesus is with you always, right? And you can look to him and ask, what would he do in this circumstance? And you might find that this road that you can't see the turn of, actually, if you, if you stay between the lines, you, you get to your destination God can use you in really significant ways. So as you're going, now the second thing is of all nations. Here's the second wheel on the car as you go down Mission Road. Uh, often we, we have this, we either say missions is all overseas or it's all at home. Actually, it's all overseas and all at home, right? When Jesus in, in Acts 1.8 sent his disciples out, he says, you'll be my witnesses. You remember? He says, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the outermost parts of the world. There's this concentric circle that goes out. And so you aren't on Jesus' mission if you're just concerned about the uttermost. And you're not on Jesus' mission if you're just concerned about what's next to you because his mission includes them all. You have to have a heart for the nations. 
So even as you're raising your families, you're thinking about how do you, how do you build mission awareness in your family. Think about, we've got to care about our neighbor and care about Shea and Bethany in the Czech Republic and what's going on down in Africa. And actually, that's the Jesus heart, is, is, is that heart for the nations. I was raised in a missionary family, but it was Denver, Colorado. And one of the things that my parents did was we had a little box that sat on our our dining room table, and it was a box of missionary cards of people that my family either supported or we prayed for. We were missionaries, but we supported missionaries, and our family does that today. These cards, and at the end of every meal, we'd pull out one of these cards, talk about one of those people, and pray for them before we left the table. Because my dad wanted to build into us a, a heart for the world, a heart for what's going on all across the world. So care about your neighbors, but give to some of these missionaries as well. Pray for them. Teach your kids to have that heart for the world. That's why it's so cool that you're sending people like you are and involved all over the world. Now, one of the things you might say is you say, but you know, I don't really care about places far away. <laughs> it's, it's, too far, it's too complicated. Well, you know what? Jesus is the Lord, right? And he cares about it. And he's your Lord, so you better care about it. You, you might be saying, my little bit won't make much of a difference. Well, Jesus is with you always, right? And if his big bit combines with your little bit, it'll make a plenty of a difference. He's with you always. He's Lord. Now, we also need to baptize, which means identify people with Christ. Lead them to Jesus, to the person of Christ. Again, often we try to lead them to our church, which is great, or to our program, but it really isn't it just all about Jesus. Shouldn't we just be all about Jesus, leading people to him? One of my students when I was at that high school, his name was Pavel. And uh, Pavel used to frustrate me in my class because uh, he was always trying to prove how much he knew. When I'd ask a question, his hand would be up first. And if I'd say, yeah, Pavel, that was the right answer, he'd, he'd look around and say, of course it was to everyone else. He was quick and smart and very proud and very self-centered. And he started coming to our youth group. Did not believe in God at all. I remember one time I, I talked about creation versus evolution, that God created the world, and afterwards he came up to me and says, Dave, you did a really good job. Too bad none of it's true. He just had kind of that arrogant, proud attitude. I went, God's not going to get through to this guy. But one time we were, we were hiking in the mountains and, and, uh, and just walking along, and, and, um, and he said, Dave, what do you think about, um, what do you think about yoga? I said, what do you mean about yoga? He said, well, um, I started reading up on that. I said, well, you know, I don't know. Let me, let, me, uh, let me think and pray about it and give you an answer. And I said, you know, by the way, Pavel, I pray for you all the time. He said, really? I said, yeah. And, and I think God's actually calling you to himself. He said, why do you think that? I said, well, why would he be telling me to pray for you if he wasn't calling you? So the fact that I'm praying to you, is, so is, you better start listening to his call. I said, oh, no, okay, so. All right. Well, I thought and prayed about his question, and, and a couple of days later when I saw him in school, I, um, I said, you know, probably, Pavel, some of the stretching stuff, there's nothing wrong with that, but it's what you, what you put your mind on while you're doing it. And I said, here, I've, I've copied something from the Bible, from God's Word. Next time you do your yoga, why don't you meditate on this passage? And it was Psalm 23. It was just a psalm that I... So he did. He, he did. He did his yoga meditating on Psalm 23. Then I gave him another one, I gave him another one, and, and uh, about two weeks later, he said, Dave, you don't have to photocopy that anymore. I bought a Bible. 
so he could get it for himself. And he started reading it. Well, um, I was praying for him, praying for him. Because I've got to lead him to Jesus, right? Baptizing is not just an act of going in the water and coming out. It's an act of being identified with Christ, clothed in him. My sin's washed by the presence of Jesus. And, and that's what allows me then to, to walk the path of following him. If, I, if, if that doesn't happen, then it's just all legalism and rules. So I was concerned for Pavel's salvation. And, and uh, one week I was praying for him. I've got to share the gospel with him again. So in school I said, Pavel, come over to my house. And I want to talk to you about some things. Now, do you hear as, as you're hearing this how, how, like, this is not, it's out of program, you know, it's life, it's that following Jesus on the path. So I just come over to my house. And he came over and we sat down at the table, Connie was gone. I said, Pablo, I just, I, I keep praying for you and I just want to make sure you understand how to, how to become a Christian because I think at some point God's going God's gonna to do that in you. So I want you to understand it. So I went through the whole plan of salvation again. And I drew the bridge, and I said, you know, all this different stuff. I said, show, draw, uh, draw an X where you think you are, you know, on God's side or man's side. He drew an X over on God's side. I said, Paul, you didn't hear me right. Let me explain this again. I went back through and explained the whole plan of salvation again. So draw an X where you think you are. He says, over here. I said, well, you can only be there if you put your faith in Jesus. And he says, I, I did that. And I said, when? He said, well, three days ago. What? Pavel. Three days ago, like, like, what happened? He says, well, I was reading the Bible, and I got to that part. It's some little book in the end, and it says those who believe in Jesus have eternal life. Those who don't, don't have eternal life. He was in First John. And he said, all of a sudden in that moment, I went, I believe. I believe in Jesus. I was like, I hope you didn't wait for this conversation. You weren't supposed to do that on your own, you know? <laughs> and I was skeptical because uh, I was really skeptical. So I said, well, we'll see from the fruit to see if, if uh, Jesus has really changed here or not. A couple weeks later, I get a call from his mom, who is a doctor, medical doctor in our town. She called me up. I'd met her, and she said, Dave, you've got to talk to Pavel. I said, what about? And she said, uh, he's, he's not doing his homework. He's just not, not, something's happening with school, and I'm really concerned with him, for him. And I, I went, oh, this is, this is not good. So I, I, talk, I called up Pavel, and I said, Pavel, what's the deal? And he goes, yeah, I'm really slipping on my homework. I said, why is that? He says, well, I sit down in the evening at my desk, and, and there's my Bible, and there's my homework. And I think, that's the Bible, that's eternal. And my homework? It's not. <laughs> and so I start reading the Bible, and then he says, it's so interesting that I read for two or three hours, and then it's too late, and I don't get to my homework. Sounds like a transformed life, right? A hunger for God's Word. That he had really been identified with Jesus, and now he was changed. So I said, Pavel, keep reading the Bible and do your homework. Like, do both. Don't stop reading the Bible. But Pavel's life was changed. You know what's really cool is that um, about four months ago, that was 18 years ago, Pavel finally led his mom to the Lord. His mom's a doctor, and he led his mom to the Lord. He led his brother to the Lord. The only one now is his dad doesn't know Jesus. Uh, Pavel's walking with God today. Um, It's just exciting when, when God changes people's lives, right? But it's only Jesus that changes lives. It's not a bunch of good ideas. It's not even the the great truths about how to live from the Bible. They're wonderful, but they won't work, right? Unless Jesus has changed your life, unless he's come into your life. So as we're making disciples, we have to always be getting back to Jesus because it's his transforming power that will enable us to follow him, and he's the one that changes lives. So don't be afraid to talk about Jesus. And then teaching to obey. 
teaching to obey. Um, teaching not just to know, but teaching to obey. I was with my dad a couple weeks ago, my farmer dad. First thing he wanted to do is show me his compost pile, which he's still doing. He, he gets friends to help him turn the manure in because he, he's 87 and he has a hard time doing it himself. But he loves the soil, just loves the soil. So he wanted to show off his soil to me. That was cool. I enjoyed that. And then, uh, then I said, Dad, what are you doing tomorrow morning? He says, um, he says actually, I, I'm leading a, a Bible study. You want to go with me? And uh, so I said, yeah. And I've, my dad, three mornings a week, he's 87, meets with guys and just studies the word with them. He's, he's making disciples. Like his, part of his calling is to compost, and he's retired. But as he's doing these things, he, he just is always making disciples, just always making disciples. So I went with him to this one, and it's, it's simple. He meets with this guy in the morning for breakfast. They decide to study a passage of, together. They both study it on their, on their own. They come together with their notes, and they talk about it. My dad prays for this guy, shares with And I'm sitting there going, you know, he's like a, he's like a father to this 40-year-old man. He's, he, that's, 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 that's what Jesus would do. He's just making disciples. Afterwards, he said, you know, one of, one of the guys I'm meeting with, um, I started meeting with when he was 16 years old, and I knew the guy. His name was Josh, and he had a mohawk and blonde hair. I said, How did, why did Josh want to get, you're, you're 87, Dad. You don't even know, you know, contemporary music. Why did, why did he want to meet with him? He says, well, I was at a men's retreat with him, and we were sitting around in a circle, and uh, someone asked Josh, why are you at this men's retreat? And Josh says, well, I just, I just want to know some more about the Bible, and I thought maybe I could, it'd help if I were around some older men. And after that little discussion, my, my, da- my dad looked around, and he went, well, I'm the oldest of these men, so maybe I need to do something about this. So he went over to Josh, this Mohawk, Mohawk 16-year-old guy, says, would you like to get together and just study the Bible together? And Josh said, yeah. And my dad said, well, you need to know that I don't know any of the contemporary music and I don't know the new shows and all the new words and all those kinds of things. So I don't know if I'll be a help to you. And uh, this, this guy said, well, I've been sitting in our, in our discussion group and I noticed something. Whenever a question comes up, you always have something to say from God's word. And that's what I want most of all. So yeah, let's meet together. And my dad's 87. What is he doing? He's making disciples, right? Making disciples. And here's my question for us this morning. Are you on mission? Are you on mission? Have you received this mission from God that, that the Jesus mission is you should always be looking to him and making disciples? He, he's Lord. He's with you always. Uh, it will involve going. Uh, you'll, you'll, you'll need to think about the world. All, but, but really it comes down to that simple part of Looking to Jesus, making disciples. And that's what will make your life count. So I, was, I was looking at my dad. I was going, you know, that, that, that soil that he's, it's, it's cool. But those lives, that's eternal. Eternal fruit, right? Eternal fruit forever. Are we on mission? 